we're in 1 Samuel chapter 18. Good to see you today. 1 Samuel 18. Last week, uh, chapter 17 was one of the more uh, familiar passages in the Bible. Uh, the study, if you were here, was about David slaying Goliath and how God, how God really used him. The last part of chapter 17, uh, we see a record of how Saul who saw this happen, this great victory over Goliath, and he did not recognize David. And so he asked Joab uh, if he would go and find this, this young man and ask who his father was. In the last part of chapter 17, Saul brings David before him and identifies himself as a son of Jesse. And that brings us into chapter 18. Now, we're going to read some verses here in just a moment, but... Uh, two main themes, I think, are, are so uh, prevalent in chapter 18. One is this friendship that develops between Jonathan and David, which was a powerful friendship, a, a friendship that endured a lot of testing and trials. And it's a good reminder about the value of relationships. The second thing, the second theme is really about uh, Saul and Saul's continual demise spiritually, how jealousy and envy destroyed the man, and uh, it's just really a sad story about the king, the first king of Israel. So that's, that's kind of what this, this chapter is going to be about. So number one, if you look at your notes, we're going to talk a little bit about Jonathan and David's friendship. Jonathan and David's friendship. <laughs> Anybody else need a copy of the lesson? Back in the back, yes. I see that hand. Several of you. They're free for those who are here on time. A dollar for those who come in late. <laughs> Good to see you all. Jonathan and David's friendship. Um, this, let's read it beginning in verse 1. 1 Samuel 18, 1. And it came to pass... When he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that he, referring to David, the, the young man who killed Goliath, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. Just hearing this conversation, something happened in Jonathan's heart especially, it says in verse 1 at the end, And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day, took David that day, and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. So we see the beginning, the birth of this strong relationship between David and Jonathan. And they said they made a covenant. A covenant is much more, uh, much stronger than just a casual friendship. It's much stronger even than a contract. Uh, we were in a meeting uh, not too awful long ago with um, sitting with someone who was getting advice from an attorney. And this attorney drew up a contract. Um, and this attorney said, uh, this is a contract, but just to let you know, 
that our firm is able to cancel this contract anytime we would choose to, and you're free to get out of this contract anytime you would choose to. Now that's so a contract is something that you can bail anytime, but a, but a covenant is much stronger than that. And we could say a lot about that, but we're not going to do that today. But it's a this number one there in your notes. This exchange was symbolic of their loyalty. And we see that in verse 4 where it says, And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle, which is a belt that holds his armor and things together. So, so keep in mind now, Jonathan was not just a... Um, a young man who admired David's bravery in killing uh, Goliath. Jonathan was the son of the king. He was the, we would call him maybe a prince. He was the heir apparent of the throne. And so he's giving David his robe, his sword, his belt, his bow. And what that symbolizes was that, that we're making this pact with each other. And and what I have is yours. And your enemies will be my enemies. And I will be always there for you. And, and you'll always be there for me. That was a very strong relationship. And again, we see this as we, in the chapters ahead. And so, um, it's, it's, I'll mention this later if I have time. But this is to me is a reminder of the importance of relationships. And close relationships. in our families in marriages, you know, in our church family. But it's also a reminder, number three there, and there's, of, of the, our union with Christ in salvation. Because when we become one with Him, He gives His resources to us. He gives His peace to us. He gives His strength to us. He gives His joy to us, His victory. We, uh, we're a part, we become a part of everything, every victory He's won on our behalf. And so this is the beginning of this great relationship. And at the same time, it tells us, just a reminder in verse 2 that we read, that Saul is not going to let David go home anymore. He's going to keep him there. Now again, this is, this is really um, an interesting thing to watch as it develops. Saul saw David. Saul wanted to know, know who David's father was. Saul keeps him close to him. Saul doesn't want him to go home anymore. And yet we'll see that Saul was really fickle in his loyalty because in this chapter, more than once in this chapter we'll go through today, he turned against David. So moving down uh, in our lesson, in verse 5 it says, And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him. And here's a phrase that's mentioned more than once in this passage behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So Saul is so impressed with David. Keep in mind, we don't know exactly how David, what, oh, how old he was, but it's commonly believed that he was probably in his late teens. And he so impressed Saul that Saul put him in charge of all these military people. It's pretty incredible when you think about it. 
And it says in verse 5 that he was accepted in the sight of all the people. The people were so impressed with David. He won their, their favor, he won their respect, and also in the sight of Saul's servants, those who were serving Saul. And so he's, David's character is becoming very obvious. People look at him, they see him, they recognize things about him. He's establishing a very testimony of character. But then in verse 6, we see what the lesson calls a, a number a B there, a victory, a victory prayed gone bad. Let's read that in verse 6. And it came to pass as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine after he killed Goliath and the Philistine army, that the women came out of all cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul. Now I want to emphasize that in a moment. They came out to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. This, the, the equivalent of this would be like, you know, a World Series parade or the Super Bowl parade. You know, this big, we've had this great victory, music is playing, everyone's celebrating, singing and dancing. In verse 7 it says, And the women answered one another as they played, and this is their chanting this back and forth, and said, verse 7, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. So, so they're excited. Goliath is dead. The Philistines have been defeated. We talked about this before. The Philistines were just like perpetual enemies of Israel. They would ambush them. They would attack them. And now they've had a great victory over the Philistines. And Saul is being praised. Saul has killed his thousands. And David, his ten thousands. Well, obviously they're giving David credit. He killed Goliath. You'll remember that when in the Valley of Elah, Israel's army is on one side and uh, Philistine army on the other side and this big giant would come out every day and taunt the people and Saul saw this, Saul was afraid of him, all their, all their army was afraid of him and here comes this shepherd boy and God used him to kill this giant. He turned everything around just in that one, one stone, that one rock that he, that he hit him with. And so everybody's excited about it but look how Saul reacts in verse 8, and this is such a, a terrible res response. Verse 8, and Saul was very wroth, very angry, and the saying displeased him. He didn't like what these women were chanting. And he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom. What does that mean? What can he, have? he said the only thing left for David is that he would have the throne itself. He's got the people are praising David. And so Saul, instead of Saul just rejoicing, yes, David is getting some credit, but we had a great victory. He was jealous. He was envious. And, you know, it's just a, it's a reminder to me that sometimes the things that are the smallest things can become major deals. And the small, what seemed like a small thing was he was envious. He was jealous of the, of the appreciation, of the credit that David was receiving. And so it says in verse 9, And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. So this is a real 
watershed moment. Because from here on out, from the rest of the narrative, even though Saul had moments of sanity when he said, I'm acting like an idiot, basically. I've been a fool. Except for those flashing moments, he, 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 he was driven by his jealousy of David, his envy. And sometimes things like that, little things, things that aren't always obvious, can really cause people a lot of trouble. And this, they, Saul's been on this journey of decline for a while, but this really, really sets things off for him. And so uh, see there in your notes, let this be a lesson to us. We should not be jealous when others are recognized or praised. Envy can be a symptom of our pride, and it very well can be. Uh, uh, hold your finger here in 1 Samuel and go to the right, if you would, in your Bibles, and to Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14 in verse 30 says, A sound heart is the life of the flesh. And that's talking about having your heart and having a healthy heart, not physically, but spiritually. Having your heart in the right place. It's, 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 it strengthens us. A sound heart is the life of the flesh. But look in the last part of verse 30 Envy the rottenness of the bones. Envy eats at a person. Envy makes jealousy and envy, you know, you're never satisfied. And I think it's a good lesson for us to be able to rejoice when other people are blessed and not just when we're blessed and to, to rejoice in other people's victories and when things go well for them. So, so here's, here's this narrative that we're going to follow now, not just today, but in the weeks ahead how Saul's pride and disobedience, he just could not get ahead. He was, his own, he was his own worst enemy. Here was a king. God put him in that position. He was, he was physically, his physique, he was head and shoulders above everyone else. God gave him a band of men whose heart, God put in their heart to follow him. I mean, he's got everything going for him, and yet he can't win because of what's on the side of him. Because he, and by the way, there's so much truth in that, even for our own lives. You know, we can become our own worst enemy. You know, it's like, it's like wherever we go, our problems follow us, right? And so, so that's where, what's going on in Saul's world. And so D there, Saul's pride and disobedience are leading to spiritual ruin in his life. So look with me if you would in verse 10 then. It says, And it came to pass on the morrow, the next day, after all this happened, Saul has this envy. He's eyeing David. Verse 10, The next day it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand as at other times. And there was a javelin in Saul's hand, and Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. Now there's a lot in those two verses. First of all, this evil spirit from God, because of Saul's attitude. You know, when we allow bitterness 
and envy and jealousy and unforgiveness in our heart, we open up the devil, uh, the door to the devil, really, to torment us. And so this evil spirit from God is, is tormenting Saul an, at another time. Another time. It's, and this has happened before. We could look back at it. As a matter of fact, um, let's, let's go back to chapter 16. In chapter 16 and verse 14, just a few chapters back. In verse 14 it says, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. That's when Saul had been, it was the king. He had sinned against the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And so this is where he's at today. In this, back to our text in chapter 18. This evil spirit's tormenting him. Now let's think about this phrase in verse 10. Where it says, and it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied in the midst of the house. Now, that's, this is an interesting thing to think about. He prophesied. Now, what does it mean to prophesy? Uh, predict sometimes. It, does, it did mean that. The prophets would predict things. But, but sometimes prophesy just means to proclaim, to proclaim. And earlier when Saul was first anointed as the king, he prophesied among the prophets, and, and it was because the Spirit of God was upon him. But now this, this evil spirit is upon him, and he's prophesying, which, which you, you, know, you may or may not know this, but I think it's worth noting. I think I mentioned it even in the lesson. Prophesied, yeah, and, and number one there. Prophesied is a word used in regard to true and false utterances. So, even when, when it's, when anytime you have in the Old Testament where it's talking about someone prophesied, the same word is used. Sometimes they prophesied good. They prophesied for God. Sometimes they prophesied evil. For instance, I want to give you an example of it. Hold your finger here in 1 Samuel 18 and go to the right to 1 Kings chapter 18. And... 1 Kings chapter 18 is this kind of a showdown between um, Elijah and the false prophets on Mount Carmel. Just kind of get your mind focused on what this is. And Elijah called all the false prophets, hundreds of them, to assemble there on Mount Carmel. And they're going to call down fire. And, and he, let the, he let the false prophets, the prophets of Baal, uh, go first. But I just want to look at a little language here in 1 Kings 18, beginning in verse 25. Hope you have that there, 1 Kings 18, 25. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal. Now, Baal is a false god. These are prophets of false, they're false prophets. Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves and dress it first. They're going to make a sacrifice for your many. And call on the name of your gods, little g. They're false gods, but put no fire under and they took the bullock which was given them and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal. They're crying out to their false god from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice nor any that answered and they, they leaped upon the altar which was made. Verse 27, it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud for he is a god, little g, God. 
Either he's talking, maybe he's in a conversation, he can't hear you. Or he's pursuing, maybe he's just busy on a journey. Or he's in a journey, or peradventure he's asleep, maybe wake him up, he must be awake. I mean, he's, he's taunting and mocking these people for their false gods. And they cried aloud and cut themselves, in verse 28, after their manner with knives and lancets, till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass, when the midday was past, here's what I'll bring you to. And they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded. So what is, what is the word used for these false prophets who are proclaiming their message? They were prophesying, right? Same word. So, it's, so, the, so when you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 18, and it says in verse 10 that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied. It doesn't mean he's prophesying truth or prophesying for God. It means he's prophesying, as Jeremiah would say sometimes, a message of his own heart. But he was prophesying. So don't let that confuse you about what prophesying means. And so it says there in verse uh, 10 and 11, as we read a moment ago, that Saul had this javelin in his hand, and he took the javelin and cast it at David, trying to kill him. Now, obviously, he's not filled with the Spirit of God, right? He's, he's trying to kill uh, God's servant, David. And so he's in a bad place spiritually. Now, look with me, if you would, in verse 12. It says, And Saul was afraid of David. I have those words underlined in my Bible. Saul was afraid of David. Because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Now he, so Saul had to respect what's going on in David's life. Uh, this phrase is found another time in verse 15. It says, Wherefore, when Saul saw that he, talking about David, behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. And if you look down in verse 29, it says, And Saul was yet the more afraid of David. And Saul becomes David's enemy. Continue. So three times it says in this chapter that Saul was afraid of David. That doesn't mean he was afraid, like terrified. It means he recognized that God was blessing David. God had blessed Saul. Saul knew what it was to have God's blessing. But now God's taken his hand off of Saul, and he's not blessing Saul. He sent an evil spirit to Saul to torment him. But he's watching David that he despises being exalted, and it just and it and it terrorized him really. So, right at the bottom of the front page, there Saul was a in a very dark emotional and spiritual place. There's no doubt about that. Now, just to insert this, at any point during this terrible, terrible fiasco, at any point. Saul could have humbled himself. He could have repented. He could confess the sin of his envy. He could have confessed the sin of his, his being impulsive and prideful, but no, at no point does he do that. He's, he's in this trajectory. And I, and I don't say that just so we understand what was going on in Saul's life, but this is the way sin works. The wages of sin is more sin. <coughs> when we... And it may not be something obvious. We think of these obvious sins. It may not start with that. It may be something small like pride or jealousy or envy or bitterness. 
but it's like a cancer that eats at us. And, and so that's why we have to recognize this could happen to any of us. When I look at people that I know that have ended up in a terrible, terrible place spiritually, it didn't start there. It started with little acts of disobedience and rebellion. So on the back of your notes, uh, Saul removed David. Let's read that in verse 13. Therefore, David, or therefore Saul, verse 13, removed him from him. He removed David from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand, and he went out and came in before the Lord. So David, Saul couldn't stand having David around because he knew God was blessing him, so he put him out in the strategic places. In verse 14, And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. The Lord was with him. Verse 15, Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. And so, so, number three there, David continued to behave himself wisely, and this only caused Saul more grief. And we can see how the confidence that the people had, or the Israelites had in, in David was just increasing. And we can't see it here, but you can see it throughout the, uh, the rest of this uh, narrative, that the confidence of the people Oh, as far as Saul was concerned, was diminishing. So you have, these, you have this, this, this respect or favor for David going up and this respect or favor for Saul declining. And uh, it's really an amazing thing to watch. Now, verse 17, Saul is going to um, offer his daughter to David as, uh, for marriage. Verse 17, and Saul said to David, Behold, my... Elder daughter, Merab, her will I give thee to wife, only be thou valiant for me, and fight the Lord's battles. Now, here's what's going on in Saul's mind. For Saul said, let not mine hand be upon him, but let the hand of the Philistines be upon him. Even there, he's, he's, just want, he's wanting the Philistines to, to do his bidding. He's want the Philistines to kill David because he wants to see him he's dead. And so he promised him, Merab, uh, for his wife. And uh, so number one there, if you fill in the blank, Saul saw that this was a way to get the Philistines to kill David. And, and you know what? David, he wasn't just being naive. He was very humble. Verse 18, and David said to Saul, who am I? And what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be a son-in-law to the king? Again, he's not just being naive. He's just humble. Why, why would God bless me in letting me have Saul as a father-in-law. I don't know that I'd consider it a blessing to have Saul as a father-in-law, but nonetheless, that's, that's how he felt. But look in verse 19. Here's Saul's work again. It came to pass at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given unto Adriel, the Maholothite, to wife. So, so on the time for the, time for the wedding... To happen, Saul get, took this woman, Merab, and gave her to somebody else. And verse 20, and Michael, I'm not sure you pronounce that that way, but that's how I would pronounce it. Michael, Saul's daughter, another one of Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. So he's, he, he gave away his, the daughter that he had promised. By the way, this is in the lesson, and I failed to mention this, but uh, if you remember when when all the army of Israel was afraid to face Saul in the valley of Elah. 
afraid to face Goliath in the valley of Elah, Saul, the king, said, if anybody will kill him, I'll give him my daughter in marriage. So this, was some, this is something that should have been a given because he'd already promised it. But again, when a person's heart is wicked and evil and they're prideful and they're getting away from God, they, keeping their word is not a real issue to them. He, and, he, and he really went back on his word. And then he said he would give it to him. Now he's changed that. And now, now he sees that Michael might be a better choice. Verse 20. Verse 21. And Saul said, I will give him her. I will give David Michael, that she may be a snare to him. Not a blessing, but a snare. And that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Wherefore Saul said to David, Thou shalt this day be my son-in-law in the one of the twain. One of my two daughters, you're going to have one of them, and it'll be Michael, and you'll be my son-in-law. Now, Saul was concerned that David would not um, like this arrangement. Now, ought to saw this. Why, why would Saul, I've speculated about this a little bit in the list, why would Saul change his mind? One may, may have just been to see how David would respond. I mean, you know, he's like, you know, you, you see these things, you've heard these things, like somebody's just constantly doing something to try to push somebody over the edge or hurt them. And so it could be that Saul had that in mind. We don't know. But because Saul wanted to make sure this happens in verse 22, he commanded his servants, saying, Commune with David secretly and say to David, Behold, the king hath delight in thee. Saul says, Tell David how much I like him. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Behold, the king hath delight in thee, and all his servants love thee. Now therefore be the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servant spake these words in the ears of David. And David said, Seemeth it to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing that I am a poor man and lightly esteemed? Here again, he's just expressing with humility you know, the fact that he's humbled or honored that Saul would consider having him in the family. And the servants of Saul told him, saying, On this manner spake David. And Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, the king desi- tell David, the king desires not a dowry. He doesn't want a dowry, but this is what he does want. A hundred foreskins of the Philistines to be avenged of the king's enemies. And why? Because Saul, but Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. So again, all Saul's trying to do is get rid of David. So he says, you can have my wife, but you're going to have to kill a thousand Philistines. That's a lot of folks. A hundred, I mean. A hundred Philistines. And to prove they're dead, bring their foreskins to me. That's pretty gross to think about, but that was exact. Saul was a pretty gross person. And so it goes on to say, verse 26, when the servants told David these words, it pleased David. He said, great. (laughs) Well, to be to the king's son-in-law in the days were not expired. Wherefore David arose and went, he and his men, and slew of the Philistines two hundred men. And David brought their foreskins and gave them in full tale to the king. Counted them up, two hundred exactly. That he might be the king's son-in-law, and David gave him Michael, his daughter, to wife. So, uh, I'm not really helping you with the fill in the blanks. I guess you got H there, Michael, another daughter of Saul, Love David. 
And so David, is, Saul is just a deceiver. He cannot be trusted. He's, a, he's an evil man. And, uh, but Dave, God is blessing David in a remarkable way. And then if you look in verse 28, And Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was yet the more afraid of David. And Saul became David's enemy continually. That's, a, that's an amazing statement. Saul became David's enemy continually. Um, this is such a dark, dark place that Saul is in. Last verse, verse 30. Then the princes of the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass after they went forth that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul. He, he proved himself, he showed himself to be just a, a man of great integrity so that his name was much set by. His name was precious, it was honored, it was respected. He had a good name. Uh, the last part, J there, David was earning a good reputation among all. You know, the Bible says a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And David had a good name. And he didn't, he didn't promote himself. The other people saw it, you know, um, the Bible warns us about us self-promotion. He wasn't promoting himself, but he was, just, he was just living the life that he was supposed to. So just some principles at the bottom that come out in this lesson. Number one, Jonathan and David modeled the value of strong relationships. And it was a mutual investment. The giving was not one-sided. You know, true friendship is not just me always seeing what, Another person can give benefit me. A true friendship is us benefiting others, being a blessing and a help to others. And, and that's the kind of relationship that David and Jonathan had. And, you know, friends, friends are a blessing. And these characteristics, we mentioned this on number A there, these characteristics make for strong friendships, marriages, and Christian families. You know, when I was uh, reading over this, I thought about... Uh, some valued friendships that I've had and have. But I especially thought about, a lot of y'all will remember E.L. Bynum, who was a friend of mine who died when he was 91 or 92. But the first time we met, uh, he said this after, after I'd preached in a conference and he was there. He was uh, more than 30 years older than me. Why would someone 30 years my senior want to be my friend? You know what I'm saying? But he... He told me after that meeting, he said, I told my wife, Betty, there's a man I would ride the river with. I've never heard any, to this day, I've never heard anybody else use that statement. How many of you have heard that statement before? Uh, it's actually came out of the cattle drives, and uh, that's how long it goes back. And, uh, and what he meant was, you know, this is somebody I could work with. This is somebody we have a relationship with. So... Uh, Looking at our lesson, just a reminder again in verse number C down there. Let's be careful that we're not jealous when others are praised. Pride and envy open the door to spiritual defeat and bondage. And I already mentioned this. We see how Saul in Saul how unconfessed sin can lead to more sin. You know, in, in studying our Bibles, you know, there are a lot of benefits to Bible study. 
And one of them is just to understand historically what happened. If, if all we had was just the record of what happened, when it happened, how it happened, why it happened, then it would benefit us. But it's more than that. It's to see principles that we can learn by and live by. What happened to Saul could happen to any of us. What happened in David's life could happen to any of us if we just obey the Lord and trust in God and be faithful in our friendships. And so I, just, I say that because I, I love facts. I love history. But it's not just the historical aspect of it. It's the principles to live by. Now, if you're looking at your lesson or if you're looking at your Bible there, next week um, we're going to move into chapter 19 and it may be that we try even to cover chapter 19 and 20 because I want to pick up the pace just a little bit because we're, this is a study about the kings and we're only on the first one and we've been in it for <laughs> how many months? So uh, we don't have as much information about the rest of the kings but as we go through this period of Saul hunting David and David's response, we'll, we'll kind of pick up the pace just a little bit. All right?